Hello, you are listening to the ESG Fitness Podcast. Welcome along. I have a couple of things I want to talk about today. And I want to start with a really nice message that I got from, I was going to say a listener, but she's actually a client on Commit to Six, but it was about the podcast. So she was messaging me more as a listener. I'm not sure why this is relevant at all, but I thought the message added a lot to some of the conversations that have been going around the fitness industry recently and it was just a really interesting and extremely eloquent eloquently written oh it's embarrassing when you can't say the word eloquent it's a very eloquently written message so I thought it was it would be useful to share I thought do you know what I thought it would be a shame for only me to read it so I've taken out a few little bits for anonymity is that the right word? Yeah, I think it is. She wanted to remain anonymous. So this message is in response to the anti-diet thing that you posted yesterday. I feel it's important to distinguish between people being anti-diet and anti-healthy lifestyle. Commit to six in your approach works for me because in my mind, it's anti-diet culture. It's pro-healthy lifestyle and taking control of your life. The imperfect action and cost benefit always is about compassion and acceptance. I think that the fat liberation movement has a lot of shared territory with your approach. I know this sounds mad, but I do. I don't think it sounds mad, by the way. Anyway, she goes on to say that she follows a couple of people from this movement and there is much that she admires about their stance and what they're fighting for. She says... I think the points they make about ableism and the quote unquote, it's sorry, quote, it's fine to be bigger as long as you're healthy, end quote, brigade being a form of policing others' behaviours are quite compelling. I also personally want to be lean, strong and functionally fit and have visible muscles. That's my healthy and that's my happy. For me, fat liberation is vastly better than diet culture. Diet culture taught me that I was too big in the 90s. It told me that I needed to be less. It taught me that sweet food was naughty, that pasta and bread were the enemy. It conflated my hunger with feelings of negativity and made me make myself sick three times a day for two years. It filled me with shame and self-loathing. Diet culture triggered my messed up eating until I found rugby at university. And then I learned to love my body for what it could do and not just how it appeared. That was my way out. For me, fat liberation acknowledges that the health is wider than just physiological. People for whom slimness is so wrapped up in their identity that it becomes an illness in itself self, are less healthy than, than fat people who have accepted their own bodies. I know you would never suggest that people with eating disorders are healthy. Your approach is great. That said, I personally think there is something honourable about accepting that physical health is not just, is not all that you need and that living in a fat body for your whole life might not be the end of the world. I just want to add in here that if I've ever insinuated that isn't what I believe, then I apologise. Like, I completely agree with that point but my argument here because I think this argument's almost just just kind of like 
ridiculous not in this context but a lot of the time people will say well health isn't just physical and I'm like nobody's saying it is (laughs) like the argument that health isn't just physical isn't a reason to say that physical health isn't important health is multifactorial but part of those factors which make up health are physical and I mean the definition of health is a state of being free from illness or injury. So I think it's important to remember that those are quite prominent factors within that. And honestly, I don't know how doctors who are promoting blanket anti-diet messages to everyone, to those who really need to lose a bit of weight to benefit their health, both physical and mental probably, It's going to be very hard to have good mental health if you don't have good physical health. The two are very intertwined. And I have no idea how they sleep at night suggesting that to people, knowing that they're going to shorten their life and reduce their quality of life during an obesity epidemic. Sorry, I went on a slight rant there I knew I wouldn't get to the end of this without butting in (laughs) right I'm going to continue I went I once went to a mum's and baby's exercise class where the trainer promised she'd get us all looking fab in bikinis in a few months I never went back because the thought of a bunch of new mums obsessing about their bikini bodies in the first months of motherhood really seemed like the very definition of madness to me it reminded me of diet culture in the 90s I just couldn't engage Within six months, however, I was uh, doing sports that I love and eating to feed and nourish my baby and my body. I had my abs back and, oh sorry, as an uh, unintended side effect. For me, health came from happiness and I believe that looks different for everyone. Sorry for the ramble, didn't want to post publicly, but I'm interested in the common ground rather than the contrast you have with the fat liberation movement. Commit to Six is the first time in 20 years that I have been able to do anything different with my nutrition without triggering bulimia. I had, uh, sorry, the bulimia I had as a teenager. I was fairly lean at the start of the six week journey and I'm now feeling that I'm starting to get ripped and all without compromising my mental health and my happiness. And most importantly, all without yearning to be less than I am. Thank you for your work in this space. It's a really wonderful gift. I have rarely seen anyone so gifted in making science so clear and simple and making fat loss so separate from the patriarchal construct of female perfectionism. The anti-diet lot are not rallying against the work that you do. You and your science-based approach is the answer that perhaps both sides are looking for oh and I'm signing up to commit tomorrow bring it on I hope everyone else enjoyed that message I mean the last part was just really lovely for me to hear personally (laughs) little ego boost for me there um but I thought it brought up some really good points so thank you very much to the person who I won't name but deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that it's also quite a nice little advert for our approach to coaching clients and the kind of approach we take on commit to six if that sounds like something you're interested in you can go and sign up to the next commit to six 
intake at esgfitness.co.uk forward slash commit to six. Now, today's topic is appetite regulation, obesity drugs, and lack of understanding or mm, and mm, a pinch of weight stigma, I think. So essentially, those who have listened to this, this <laughs> um, for a while will know that I don't really watch TV because I don't have a TV. And I tend not to read things like the Daily Mail because I don't want my brain cell cells to shrivel up and die. But Andy does. <laughs> and he sends me like some of these absolute bullshit articles. So like, yesterday he sent me one about um, eggs increasing your risk of dying by 7%. And today he sent me a headline. This one isn't so bullshit, but about this new obesity drug. So it was interesting to read about it and see people's reactions to it. So I thought I would delve into it a little bit here. So this drug works by reducing appetite. It's not that someone can eat more calories and still lose weight. It's that they are now choosing to eat less. In other words, if you're eating for reasons other than lack of satiety or hunger, this isn't going to help. So if you're someone who is emotionally eating or boredom eating, this isn't the solution for you. And I think a common misconception with obesity drugs like this is that it somehow allows you to lose weight without changing your behaviours. That isn't how it works. I mean, okay, so just just because I like to give the full picture, there's one drug called Orlistat, which essentially stops you absorbing calories from fat. So, But apart from that one, which isn't particularly effective, by the way, um, most obesity drugs or medicine in general work via reducing hunger and increasing satiety. And in this sense, rather than quote unquote cheating, as I see some uneducated people say, it's more about evening the playing field. So the drug they're talking about in the news today reduces appetite, which is the same way in which um, a gastric band works. Both treatments reduce someone's calorie intake. So it still comes back to it's a calorie deficit. Many overweight and obese people have a much stronger drive to eat. Um, Some of which is genetic, which is one reason that even in the same environment, some people put on weight and others don't. And one of the women who was interviewed in the BBC article noted that she had tried loads of diets before, found them exhausting and unbelievably hard to stick to. And this, like this situation, someone who's tried a hell of a lot before and it's the adherence that's really a problem for them long-term. And I'm not talking about someone who's quite lean but wants abs and is struggling to adhere to 1500 calories. I'm talking about someone who's obese and has been trying to lose weight for a very long time on different diets and is finding it incredibly hard. That's who this drug is for. Quite clearly in this individual, it's an appetite problem. If you are someone who 
as soon as you drop your calories, despite still having lots of body fat, so lots of ample energy there, you just can't stop thinking about food, then this is a situation where a drug like this may be really useful to allow you to stick to your diet. It's not a cheat, like it's just allowing you to actually stick to the diet. You will still have to do the work. The drug doesn't magic away calories like all of the participants that lost weight on the study did so because they ate less. The difference was they were able to adhere. It's easy and somewhat slash massively naive to think that because you find something relatively easy to stick to or you find it quite easy to stick to a diet that everyone else does, that everyone else experiences the same level of hunger that everyone requires the same level of effort or willpower to stick to a diet. That just simply is not the case. So you might find it quite easy just to be like, yeah, well, just don't eat after dinner. Like, just stop eating. And and you're like, yeah, that's not too hard for me. But some people find that much harder And the hunger levels of someone who is overweight or obese might be the same as, I'm trying to make this applicable to personal trainers. So this might be the same as you two days out from a bodybuilding competition. And yet we paint one of these people, the bodybuilder, as disciplined. Amazing. What an achievement. And the other one is lazy. And let let me like delve into the science of this a little bit. So... I need to explain how hunger is regulated. I'm going to focus, there are, it is far more complicated than this, but I'm going to focus on one hormone for this example, and that is leptin. Leptin is released primarily from white adipose tissue, which is also known on the streets as fat. Its role is to regulate the body's energy stores. So leptin levels are low in thin people with very little body fat levels and it's high in overweight people with lots of stored body fat slash white adipose tissue. Low leptin levels indicate low energy so in someone who's very lean low leptin levels low energy and that promotes hunger. Makes sense. High leptin levels uh, signal that there's high energy So that turns off hunger. You don't have as big a drive to eat. And so that kind of makes sense. So far, so good, right? So why, if that works, are some people overweight? Given that more body fat should result in higher leptin levels and then turn off hunger, that means that we should all stay a quote-unquote healthy weight or normal weight. Anyway, we shouldn't get overweight. But unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that. So what can happen is that you become resistant to leptin. You develop leptin resistance. Um, And that, sorry, when I said resistant to leptin, leptin resistance is a spectrum. So chronically high levels of leptin result in reduced sensitivity to the presence of leptin and this is similar to insulin resistance in the presence of chronically high levels of insulin and in a leptin resistant state the brain can't sense high leptin levels and thus it promotes hunger as it assumes that 
energy levels are low. And this in turn inevitably results in more calories consumed, more fat accumulated, increased leptin resistance and maintained high levels of hunger, which turns into a bit of a vicious cycle. So if we now go back to my point about hunger levels in a bodybuilder two days out from their show and obesity, leptin levels and hunger dysregulation in obese people mean that their brain doesn't have a good sense of the energy that is available and thus it promotes continued eating and also lower levels of activity. The same way that it does when you're very lean and you know, like I'm sure people have heard of, you know, NEAT drops down, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, your activity levels are reduced and your drive to eat is really high when you're very lean and everything, all you can think about is food because your, <laughs> your brain wants you to eat more. So although leptin and insulin levels, and I'm mentioning insulin here because it's also linked to hunger and the regulation of um, how much you eat and how much you move. And also that uh, leptin resistance and insulin resistance often come together in high levels of obesity, for example. So despite leptin and insulin both being high in obesity, I actually just want to caveat this with not everyone who is obese will have leptin and insulin resistance, but it is very likely. And the longer that you are overweight or obese, the higher the likelihood of this is. But it isn't always the case. And the people who are potentially obese, but not leptin or insulin resistance are usually people who are active. So exercise will help with this. Um, anyway, back to my point. In um, obese states, although the leptin and insulin levels are high, the, the sensitivity to these hormones are is low. So what the brain sees is that there is little leptin or insulin, and thus that's a signal to say there isn't much energy available. So let's increase hunger so we can get more calories in and let's reduce energy expenditure to try and conserve as much energy as possible as well. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got this lean bodybuilder who is very sensitive to insulin and very sensitive to leptin, but the levels are legitimately low. So the brain rightly thinks mm, we need to increase hunger and reduce activity. So you can see that although you're at either end of the spectrum, as far as your brain knows, be quite a similar situation going on there. So the signals to the brain are similar in both very lean and very overweight people who are resistant to leptin and insulin. And my point here is that these two individuals could be going through the same thing. But again, one is seen as lazy and the other is seen as disciplined, which is hardly fair. So if you're a personal trainer and you're trying to be empathetic towards an overweight client who's maybe really struggling with their diet and you want to put yourself in their shoes 
Maybe imagine how you felt the last time you did a show or the last time you got really lean and did a photo shoot. Uh, On this point, actually, I have seen this um, professor talk a couple of times. She's called Professor Faruqi and she did some of the initial work on leptin and leptin deficiencies, which is a slightly different topic. But uh, there's a quote from her, which I just love. I'm going to read it out. So she says, This research shows for the first time that healthy, thin people are generally thin because they have a lower burden of genes that increase a person's chances of being overweight and not just because they are morally superior as some people like to suggest. (laughs) I absolutely love the sass of that. I feel like there is not enough sass in science. Anyway, she goes on to say, it's easy to rush to judge. It is easy to rush to judgment and criticize people for their weight but the science shows that things are far more complex. We have far less control over our weight than we might wish to think. End death quote. But obviously it's calorie deficit, isn't it? So it's really quite simple. (laughs) It isn't that simple. Anyway, the take home I want you to get from this podcast is that diet pills or obesity medicine in, in general and treatments are not cheating. And if someone says that they are, they simply do not understand how the treatment works. There is no obesity treatment that doesn't require eating less. Like you get a gastric band. It's not, I think some people have this illusion that that's like cheating. No, you're forced to eat less. Like you physically can't fit as much food in your stomach. That's how it works. And yes, part of it can bypass part of your um, digestive tract so you're not absorbing quite as much nutrients. But by and large, the main reason they're working is because it's actually allowing you to stick to the diet. Same with appetite regulation drugs. Reduces your appetite so you stop eating as much. It won't work if you don't have this dysregulation. And a prime example of that is when they first discovered leptin. They thought that, oh, we can just inject all overweight people with leptin, they won't eat as much, and that'll be the cure for obesity. But they saw that that didn't work, partly because of leptin um, resistance, as we've just spoken about. However, when you see someone, in fact, a lot of this was Professor Faruqi's work, when you see someone who is leptin deficient, and this is normally caught in in childhood, because if anyone listening is like, oh, I think that might be me, it's not. (laughs) Like, these uh, children would try and eat furniture and things. Like, it's an insatiable hunger. And when they are given leptin treatment, they go back to eating normally. Like there's a dysregulation in hunger there. And to a lesser extent with these drugs, like the the drugs they're talking about in the news at the moment, like it's not going to work if you're not eating because you're hungry. But if it's not an appetite dysregulation problem, then the drugs aren't going to work for you. So if you are overweight and you're struggling to, to lose weight and 
maybe you're looking over at your peers or other people on maybe you're on like the EC method and you're looking at other people and they're getting better results than you and they don't seem to be struggling as much and you can't understand because you're on similar calories and you're eating similar things you're ticking all the boxes and and you're trying really hard do you know what for some people it is harder and it's not fair but for some people it is a bit harder and it's not because you lack willpower it's because it genuinely might be a bit harder for you and maybe you need a little bit more support and that's okay because that's why you've got coaches to support you that's why you've joined a program if it was easy you wouldn't need to have joined but it's okay that it's a little bit harder for you because we're here to support you with that and we often wrongly assume that leaner people must be hungrier and the overweight people can't possibly be hungry because they've got ample energy available like that's what body fat is it's a stored energy and sure like on a physiological level you're not starving but that doesn't mean that your brain isn't telling you that you are you might feel like you are your body might be giving you the signals of of, as if you are and driving you to eat in that way and the good news is if you lose weight and you exercise, most people will become more sensitive to leptin and insulin and their hunger will re-regulate to a certain extent. Um, Sometimes quite a small genetic predisposition can be exacerbated over time and cause like real dysregulation. For example, in this case, you might be slightly predisposed genetically to having slightly higher hunger levels. But then over time, you've built up a lot of excess body fat, which has made you less sensitive to insulin, less sensitive to leptin. And now you do have genuinely much higher hunger levels. But as you lose that body fat, and I'm not saying it'll be easy, but it it could get easier as you lose it and become more sensitive to these signals. Hopefully that makes sense. And it could also be... Um, good news because maybe if if I'm, I'm not suggesting anyone take these drugs but if your doctor did decide with you that these were a good thing to take it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on them for life it could be a way to get you down to a lean enough level that you become more sensitive to these hormones that you're exercising more and then you can come off these drugs and you're much better able to manage hunger levels and you don't experience such a high drive to eat so that's what I wanted to talk about and I think the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I see this is probably the one of my biggest hates within fitness is seeing personal trainers post about stuff like this and saying things like yeah it's just calorie deficit or just diet and exercise why are you taking drugs no no, no, I can do it you can do it if I can do it (laughs) you know genetically blessed me who's never struggled with with my weight if I can do it (laughs) Of course you could do it. Like, it's so ridiculous. It And it also just shows a really worrying lack of understanding. It's often put with a picture of, like, them at uni having a beer slightly overweight, being like, if I can do it. Oh, it, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. I just feel like this should be taught more to personal trainers. Uh, or anyone helping anyone with their weight and more just more generally people should know this 
and it's something that we cover, 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 it's something that we cover in EIQ, so anyone who's on that course will have the pleasure, in fact, I think you guys have already done the lecture, I make a really nice graph about this, if I do say so myself, and if you are interested in EIQ, go to eiqnutrition.com, anyway, I think I've rambled off, I've rambled off, yeah, I think this is a good sign that it is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. As ever, if you have enjoyed it, please do post it in your stories, tag me, review, rate, all the good stuff. It really helps and it lets me know which episodes you found interesting and which topics I should delve into more. So if this is the kind of stuff you like knowing then, you know, let me know and have a lovely day.